Hi, welcome to episode 24 of Two Girls, a Guy, and a Tardis, uh, starring me, John. I'm Nicole. I'm Joanna. Uh, almost in unison, so sweet. <laughs> um, this is a special episode for us because we're going to talk, talk to you about Chicago Tardis 2013, which me and Nicole were at. Nicole spent the whole weekend there, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, talk about some of the people we met, throw some shout outs because we did meet some cool people. And we met some people in person for the first time ever. Yes. Which was very cool. Uh, we may, we may, I may have seen other people I knew, but wasn't quite sure because they don't look like their pictures. <laughs> um, and uh, then we're going to talk a little bit, not give any details about the interview, but we're going to tell you a little <laughs> bit about interviewing Peter Davison, our first ever show-related interview, someone that worked on the show. And for those David Tennant fanboys out there listening, I shook Peterson's hand or Peter Davison's hand. His hand shakes David Tennant's hand. <laughs> Yeah, let that sink in. Because my sister-in-law yesterday was like, oh my god, can I shake your hand? Which is kind of odd, because she's a little old to be a fangirl, but I guess it really never, you really never outgrow it. Nope. Uh, nope. Joanna's like, I'm on my way! <laughs> uh, no. Um, and so we'll, then we'll post the, then we'll put the interview after it. And, yeah. We did, so Chicago Tardis 2013, I, my understanding, there was some issues the opening day. Yeah. Because I believe they still... I was kind of surprised by this when I got there because I knew they were going to have more people. I knew they limited memberships. I don't know why they're called memberships, but whatever. Uh, first off, I'd like to send a shout-out to them. I really appreciate them setting us up with the interviews. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was it took a while, and I was kind of like, oh, I guess they don't you know, <laughs> want us, but then Jennifer emailed us and said, hey, who do you guys want? And she did the best she could, and we got two of the five we had on our list, and then we had two other pretty good ones. So it was, it was good. And um, but I, I guess I expected them to be more electronic at this point for checking people in, mm-hmm. and they were still using their binders and stuff. And they're good people and they're hardworking people, and I just don't think they thought it was going to be as overwhelming as well. I don't think they realized that many people show up at one time because. Uh, Traditionally, people filter in through the day, like Saturday. People mm-hmm. filter in, like when we go on Saturdays only, people would just be filtering in. And like by afternoon, it'd be crowded. Not so much, you know, first thing in the morning. So with Joanna, or Joanna. <laughs> but Nicole, you were there Friday, so you could give a little more insight. It was very, very, very crowded. And, and the... Like galley crowded? Well, I mean, in terms of the registration lines for like most of the day. I mean, Galley just walked in and registered and you're done. You were waiting in a very long line for a while. <laughs> That's what I heard. I heard I heard a lot of people on Twitter saying that uh, it was like an hour wait, hour and a half wait. It, it was, it seemed to be pretty long for a while and they were trying and I didn't know what, I mean, because when you got up there, they did yeah. The whole thing in like I mean, two seconds. And again, kudos to them because yeah. for not being electronic, they get you registered quick. Yeah. It I was... mean, they're not bad. They know what they're doing. They've done it for 14 mm-hmm. years. I, I just think the sheer volume yeah, of people is what it was. Everyone must have come at once or, but I mean, it seemed to go for a while because I wasn't someone who got there particularly early, but some people were. And then people that came after me were, it was like, 
But I think it got less as the I, day I went on. I think they knew it was you, and they're like, "Hey, she's from two guys, a gr- two, gr- she's from two girls, a guy in a TARDIS with a guy <laughs> that can't say his own his, the name of his own show <laughs> that he made up." <laughs> but yeah, it was, and then the opening ceremonies got basically canceled because the guests were all too tired from their <laughs> signings and photos. Yeah, I heard the signings went real long. Uh, Again, it's the biggest this con's ever been. It's never mm-hmm. been this big. It's like so, doubled in size. Yeah, which is good. I mean, obviously, there's going to be growing pains. And, you know, hopefully next year a lot of people that were unhappy with the way things went come back. Because I'm sure they're going to, you know, be more prepared and have it set up, you know, different. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was. Well, like the, this was the first time, too, there that when I went in to hear the end of Peter Davison's panel, I had to wait to get in. This Until was, someone came out because it was full. Yeah, they didn't want people standing in back. They were making people um, find seats. Also, I will say this is the first time that I've ever seen the guests doubled up the way they were for panels. Like, usually, okay, here's Colin Baker. He's 4 to 5, or 4 to 4.45. At 5 o'clock, here's yeah. Louise Jameson. And, you know, they were overlapping guests that were like guests. Probably mm-hmm. just instead of ha- I guess instead of doing two full panels... And then doing a joint one, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. But I think some of that was probably because of the immense crowds, too. Like, I know the vendor area was packed when we went in there. I mean. Yeah. Uh, but how was your first day? Who did you see your first day? First day, I saw Paul McGann. Okay. And Daphne Ashbrook. I hate saying this, but every time I see him in a picture from Chicago TARDIS, he looks completely disinterested to be there. He was, I think, <laughs> really jet-lagged. Is that what... Okay, I can understand that. It was... Because you look at him, you're like, you don't look like yourself, it, man. It was... Um, his panel was... I I thought it almost could have been called in the beginning, like, free association with Paul McGann because he would, like, be talking and then he'd be like, oh, these lights... Is this a ballroom? It looks like a ballroom. And someone, and then I forget who was his moderator, but he's like, that's why it's called the Grand Ballroom. And he's like, I took ballroom dancing lessons when I was a kid. You sure he wasn't just high? I think he was like, so he got off the plane. He was like kind of groggy. Oh, maybe he flew in that morning. Yeah, I'm not sure when he came, but I think he was kind of jet lagged. So he was kind of like, because he got better, though, when Daphne Ashbrook came out with him. Because she was real lively and yeah, because he's awake. not. I mean, and then he focused a little more. I he's thought he's never like shied away from being doctor, the doctor, or anything like that. I mean, he's more than happy to do these shows. So it was just weird seeing. I'm like, wow, he does not look like he's doing well. I thought and he maybe, was jet lagged. Maybe he was jet lagged. Maybe he was kind of sick. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if he. But it seemed like maybe he was kind of jet lagged and a little bit. Because yeah, it was. I mean, he was still. It wasn't like he was. No, wasn't no. coherent or something, yeah, but he, no, you could no, tell yeah. his he was not terribly focused. He'd uh-huh. wander off a little bit and yeah. talk about ballroom dancing as a child. You know, he was born, I believe, the same year as Peter Davison. I think they were both both born like in fifty four, or Davison was fifty four and he was fifty nine. There's like you, you look at McGann and every, I, I I thought he was there was a much bigger age difference, and I he's there's really not. I'm kind of surprised at that. That's wild. Yeah. 
How was um, how was Daphne? Oh, go ahead, Joanna. Sorry. Oh, uh, my my question is, it's like, what was his? Did anyone ask him about being in the minisode? That did come up. He was. He didn't. He never lied. He said he wasn't part of the fiftieth episode, mm-hmm. and he wasn't. <laughs> they filmed that though. He said in like a day, and he had. They had to like. They had him there like secretly. Well, yeah. And, and he had to have a day. But, I mean, he was, like, in Cardiff secretly. He couldn't tell anyone he was there. And they probably waited near to near the last minute to film it. And they had to wait to, for a day, I think they said, when the Doctor Who exhibition was closed because they had to get his sonic screwdriver from the exhibition to use. Oh, really? <laughs> so, wow. it to, so it was, had to be, like, on a Sunday. No, it's open um, Sundays, too. It, Monday? It was it There's closed? Be I some think day it's, it's closed. closed yeah. I think he said it was a Monday, maybe, but it, it had to be because yeah, they had to sneak out his Sonic without anyone knowing. I'd say Howdy liked reprising the role, but realistically, he's been doing it on Big Finish for like a decade. But mm-hmm. being back on TV, you know, he wanted to wear a leather jacket, and they said no. <laughs> and Colin Baker wanted to wear a leather jacket, and they said no. And then Chris Eccleston, they're like, here's a leather jacket. <laughs> Eccleston gets what he wants. Huh? so pompous <laughs> there's a part in the interview with, with Davison where he goes yeah you know we called up and we got everybody and everyone was really easy to work with goes, well we didn't get everybody there's one person who you know didn't want to work with us I'm like we know who it is because <laughs> we all saw the video <laughs> it, was just, it was funny because I wouldn't say he was really being diplomatic about it <laughs> like you could tell he was like not really happy with that person because uh, you know whatever but he didn't say the name. But we know who it was. Uh, so you saw... How's Daphne, how was Daphne Ashbrook? Because, like, it's hard for me to... It would be hard for me to be like, Oh, you're Daphne Ashbrook. You were the companion... Because it was, like, one episode. Mm-hmm. But now she's been... Has she done Big Finish, too? I'm not sure. Because I know he's had a whole slew of different yeah, com- assistants. Because companions, whatever there's, you want to say. They also said there's a problem... With um, like the rights to her character, is it Grace it Holloway jo- is it doesn't it belong to the BBC. To the BBC. It was a joint, Fox, so they BBC. can't. Like that's why in the minisode he doesn't mention her when he lists his companions. He doesn't mention Grace because legally they couldn't. Yeah, he mentions the big finish ones. They weren't even allowed to mention her name, which seemed not even GH. <laughs> that's terrible. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I don't think I don't think it was I don't think anybody missed it. I mean, if she's not doing the big finish stuff, I mean, she had the one episode. I, I wasn't completely enthused with her character. Mm-hmm. She did not seem like a, a surgeon or whatever she was. Yeah, surgeon, right? Yeah. She did not seem to be what I would ex- expect a surgeon to be. It's just me though. Daphne Ashbrook. <laughs> Daphne Ashbrook was was she was she she was enjoyable though. Yeah, she was. Well, she I mean, seems like she'd be all right and nice. It's just you know, she she doesn't write the character. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, she, she isn't she he, the only American kind of co- yeah. the only American actress to play a companion. I think so. But yeah, she kind of livened him up a little too, because yeah, he was. I I just thought I assumed he was jet lagged because he just seemed kind of groggy. I would go along with that. But when she came out, he kind of livened up a little. And well, I know those guys have been flying all over the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, they were all in Australia. They were all where I mean, you know. They yeah, were doing they a were. Lot of, uh, 
Nicola Bryant was going to Australia from the convention. Yeah, yeah. I, I, we were, we, were in the, we saw the end of that one. I like Nicola Bryant. She seems she seems delightful. <laughs> so after Daphne Ashbrook and Paul McGann, did you see anybody else? Well, after them was the wait for the opening ceremonies. That never happened? Yeah, didn't happen. And by that point, I was hungry. There were so. like nine different excuses why it didn't happen. I don't know why. You just said that the guests were tired. I, that's, this is the first time I heard that. that. That's what we heard, that the guests were tired. The signings went over. That's why they delayed it. And then well, I know the they just didn't. But, yeah, so we waited, and then I was hungry, so I went and ate. Because we'd been waiting to eat for the opening ceremonies, and then... So the, everything else, it was, we need food more than anything yeah. else. <laughs> yeah, we went to lunch at Harry Carey's, me and Joanna, on, uh, it, on um, Saturday. And it was weird, because everyone in there was a Doctor Who fan. <laughs> and there was a table with a husband, a wife, and two boys talking about the show. And one of the boys said, Patrick Stewart would have made a great doctor. And I, they were like four tables across from us, and I heard it. <laughs> and I looked, and I'm like, you are absolutely correct. <laughs> I think a couple years back, Patrick, or Patrick Stewart would have made, made a great doctor. I, I agree. I, mm-hmm. I, I was like, that is a smart kid. <laughs> we got there Saturday morning early, because I had heard the crowds were bad. Yeah, that's and what it, I did I not want to miss interviewing Peter Davison was, because I probably would have committed Harry Carey at Harry Carey's. That was so. I, that's why because I, I was like I don't know, but I would just be on the safe side and because I didn't know if everyone that had a Saturday only pass would come at the same time and cause the cause and havoc. I, and I was like, I figured cry havoc and let slip. The you dogs didn't want to miss the yes interview. Some classic so. literature. Don't know what it's from, but I know that line. <laughs> But yeah, I was like, and then yeah, when you got there and you were like, yeah, there was. I'm like, we walked right in. It was like four minutes. We walked in. I dropped some cards off at the table after we signed in. You know, it was funny. I was filling out my paper. I feel like we we you have to fill out your own badge. You put your name on it. Me and Nicole here mm-hmm. put our names real small in the upper left corner, like when you would start writing <laughs> yeah. something on notebook paper. My wife Joanna, who was with me. You could tell who's right-brained and left-brained, apparently, because hers was real big sweeping letters and filled the whole card. <laughs> we should have put, like, you know, two guys or girl on it. Two gr- Damn it! <laughs> you really want to have picked up another guy no, for I our really podcast. Don't. I'm really happy having two girls, because I, I can always be like, yeah. No, um, <laughs> we should have put, like, two girls, a guy, and a TARDIS on it, and neither of us thought of doing that. And I didn't think about leaving cards with you when I left Saturday either. <laughs> Because I put a stack down, I walked by, what, two, an hour and a half later, mm-hmm. and there were three left. I put another stack down, walked by two hours later, there were three left. So, and I, I've seen our listenership go up, I've seen Twitter followers go up. For some reason, no one seems to want to do Facebook. Mm-hmm. What the f- hell is this? Stupid web browser. Anyways. Uh, so I've seen numbers climb. So I'm assuming people actually have, and even the website numbers have gone up. So we thank you know all of you out there that are giving us a listen and checking out our stuff and really appreciate it. You're the mm-hmm. reason we do this and because we like to hear ourselves talk. <laughs> or at least I do. Uh, so we got there and we were waiting for a while and there was this kind of commotion. And we're like, what's going on? We turn around and look and coming through the front door is Colin Baker, who is a much bigger dude like height wise than I I thought. 
He was the first guy I saw when I pulled into the parking lot. I parked my car. I looked up and I'm like, that's Colin Baker walking in front of my car. I guess I'm here. <laughs> and then she accidentally took her foot off the brakes and hit him. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That would have made for an, if, you, like, if we didn't read Baker. That would have made for an awkward interview. <laughs> I I hit you with my car this morning. I had parked, <laughs> and I looked. I like you know and looked you down, turned off the key. Too. You know, taking the key out, looked down, grabbed my bag, looked back up, and I'm like, "It's Colin Baker." He does not try to hide who he is. He is very proud of his time as a doctor, and he is he is he seems very rambunctious, very boisterous. His panel was was fun, you know. Again, as I got older, I don't blame him for the Sixth Doctor. It wasn't mm-hmm. his choices. Mm-hmm. So I really wish he could have been able to like have better writers and stuff. I, I think he would have been pretty good. But he walks in, and we seen we had seen earlier this like little like two year old mm-hmm. kid dressed like like the Sixth Doctor. Brilliant oh, costume. It was so cute. I and saw the pictures. They walk and he walks up by, and they're looking at each other, and it was just it was mm-hmm. priceless. And everyone's taking pictures. It's like the only time you could take a picture of like, you know, him without, um, you know, paying because mm-hmm. you know the con hadn't really started yet, and I don't think anyone's gonna object to taking a picture of him with the little kid. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it it was really neat to see that. I was like, oh, it's so cute. And uh, we met this girl, and we were talking to her. Her name's Crystal, if she ever listens, and mm-hmm. she seems like a nice English girl. That is not English, but sounded I de- like I've been to England. She could pass for someone from England. I guess she'd spent like eighteen months there, and she all the phrasing and wording and voice, everything. She's like, I get that a lot. I'm like, I can imagine. And she was really nice, and we talked to her for a while, and then we met up with you, and we went to mm-hmm. the interview area, <laughs> which is when we both started getting a little nervous. Oh, the best part I thought was. After the interviews, when you were passing on care of the recorder to me, and I looked, and like you were demonstrating, and your hand was like shaking a little from the adrenaline, I think. And I looked at mine, and I was like shaking. It was like the that's hard to tell me because my hands, like if you look at it now, even it twitches. There's from a little years bit of, of like solder. a I thought leftover like oh, adrenaline yeah. from that because oh, there probably was. Your hand was shaking a little in my hand, and I'm like, they're over. We're not even like, but just the... We're still hopped up. We're yeah. still pumped. Uh, so we get to the, the the room they had set up is, um, door's locked, so not everyone can just walk in, but we found out there's a back way in, which when we got mm-hmm. told that, it was like, I'm like, oh, I don't have any more interviews, but you had two more the next day, so you were able to go in the special way. Actually, I still waited, because <laughs> I wasn't sure... I would have walked in. What? You're, you're from two girls, a guy, and a TARDIS. You... No, I'm just he let me in, though. suddenly we're such a big time. No, uh, <laughs> so we're waiting there, and we had a fill-in Joanna. We had my wife instead of Joanna, because mm-hmm. she couldn't make it. So I'm like, well, whatever, just say you're with the podcast. I mean, you, what's the difference? I mean, mm-hmm. she really, I mean, she's been on the show before. Mm-hmm. It's not like she's, yes. you know, a stranger. Not like we had an entourage. And she was getting giddy and, like, anxious, which, oh, God, sometimes drives me nuts. I'm like, calm down. It's like, don't yell at me. I'm not yelling at you. Just calm down. I'm nervous as it is. And it was getting close to the time, so I'm like, okay, I'll go knock on the door. And I walk over to the door, and I couldn't do it. I'm like, eh, 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 must knock on door. And I'm standing there, and my wife's like, didn't they hear it? I'm like, I didn't do it yet. 
So I knock on the door. Guy opens it up. He's like, oh, yeah, come on in. Just go around the corner. We walk in. Colin Baker's walking in from the back door, and he's like, mm-hmm. hello, everybody. And everyone's like, morning, Colin. It's like, <laughs> there's, like, other people from the show in there, and there's other celebrities in there, and we're walking past them. I'm like, this is really cool. <laughs> and we turn the corner, and there were two other podcasters already there. There was a father-son team called Who on Who, on Who from Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Really cool guys. Yep. And there was a girl there. And we talked to her for a little bit, and she goes, oh, what podcast are you? And I had the business cards. See? Mm-hmm. Came in handy. I'm like, yep. here you go. We're two girls, a guy, and a TARDIS. And she goes, oh, here you go. And she gives me her card, and it was Geek Girl Chicago, <laughs> who I had talked to plenty of times on Twitter. And I'm like, I've talked to you before on Twitter, and I, I, I know um, someone that knows your boyfriend. Well, I don't know him, but I know him through <laughs> the internet. Because um, her boyfriend is the creator of my fair, Our Fair City. Which oh, I think cool. is a, which I think is a really cool radio play. I really like it. Mm-hmm. I got to catch. I think I'm, I'm thinking about like a season behind. <laughs> They're like five minute to ten minute segments though. And um, Ryan Bond is the guy I know. And uh, she's like, oh yeah, he was just over at my place. I'm like that's cool. And uh, it was really neat. You know, she's like, oh, what's your Twitter name? I'm like, oh, it's this. She goes, I know, I remember now. I'm like, cool. <laughs> she took a picture of us and all that. So maybe we'll make it somewhere online mm-hmm. other than our whole website. But she was really cool, and they were really cool, and um, I, you know, hey, give them a listen, you know. Mm-hmm. I know, I know, Geek Girl Chicago through Doctor Who, like our Doctor Who photo shoots. Oh, okay, so she's been to. I didn't know she's been because she did. Yeah. Ro- she did Rose. Ty- we saw her and talked to her in the dealer room, and we had ran into her and talked to her again for like a good amount of time too. It was like ten minutes, and then I didn't see her anymore. I'm like, oh, maybe she had something else she had to go to because there was a lot going on that weekend. She changed into Rose Tyler, and I did not see her at all. Like I mm-hmm. couldn't, I didn't recognize her at all after that. So mm-hmm. she does. She had three Rose Rose Tyler costumes with her. I think she is like the the best Rose Tyler um, cos, cosplayer right now. She's really I saw the, good. I saw the picture. It was really good. Yeah, she really is. Well, I remember mm-hmm. she was at C two E two, and she was saying she was going to be Rose Tyler also. And. uh I was like, oh, because she was like, oh, what's everyone wearing? I'm like, a leather jacket and a black sweater. <laughs> she was oh, you're going as number nine. I'm like, sure. Yeah, I guess it really is. I mean, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. I need a new leather jacket. Mine got, mine's all ripped up. That's why I didn't do it. I, I would have, but my jacket just looks so tattered now. It's so, it's been through so much. <laughs> and uh, so she was real cool, and she went first, and we kind of heard some of her interview, and then who on who went we heard a little theirs and then uh we had the ominous music in the background yeah, from they the were, episodes they were an episode right behind the wall by us so it's like yeah. <laughs> then the episode ends and it's like the, the theme and you're like hmm. at one point people were cheering applauding and cheering and i was i was I, bowing at the i was table. trying to figure out what episode that was and then we were like trying to talk but then there was be, there'd be silence because we're like why are we talking too loud Can, we mm-hmm. don't want to be on her interview thing um so he, they did and then their you interviews. were texting from across the table. You were answering Joanna's text that she sent to both of us, and all of a sudden oh, my yeah. phone got a text you, from you. you. I'm like, it's just, what? Like, Nicole's like, I'm right here. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, it's a group text. It was my text. Yeah, it was yeah. yours. And then, uh, okay. so we uh, we did our interview, and Peter Davison, very very nice man. Mm-hmm. Just very personable, very very down to earth. Like he, you, I could see going and just having a drink with him and just hanging out. And he seems like he'd just be so just he's so laid back and just so like down to earth. Like no, I mean 
he's he's kind of done a lot of acting. He's done a lot of acting in the UK. He's been on a lot of successful shows. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you think about, I, I didn't, it didn't really, I didn't really think about that until we left the room, because I was sitting there and I'm like, you know, I'm like, wow, I'm sitting a foot away from a guy that's probably my favorite doctor. I, he's in the top two that I grew up watching on TV. And then after we walk out of the room, it dawns on me, I'm like, oh my god, this guy's on a lot of, this guy's kind of a big name in, he is a big name in England. And I was like, wow, that's that's kind of cool. But he was. He was great. I mean, what what mm-hmm. do you think? I mean, he seemed like he was having a he seemed like he generally was having a good time. On the other hand, he's a really good actor too, so <laughs> it's really hard to say. But he seemed like he was enjoying his time for being his third interview in a row. Probably hearing some of the poor guy got like a bite out of his bagel. Yeah, Aww. but everyone kept saying, "Do you need some time to eat?" I need mean, no, no. Oh yeah, I'm, I even said like, "Whenever yeah. you're ready, and let me know." Every podcast your... no, was like, do, "Do you need a moment?" And he's like, "No, no." It was really cool, and he was real nice, and he left his water on the table. Mm-hmm. And we went back to that room two hours later? Well, like an hour by the time like, we... Like an hour. Because we were last. Yeah. To interview Louise Jameson. And the bottle was still there, and my wife and Nicole are both like, should we take it? It's like, I possess the DNA of Peter Davison, you know? And it was there the whole time. And you're, it, it, I was more worried about accidentally drinking it because I had my bottle of water and it was like right well, near that mine. Been, well, that, then that would have been like you kissed a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't want to accidentally like just grab water, and so I kept pushing it. On the plus side, the on the plus side, it was a well-known actor and you know mm-hmm. whatever, not like a homeless dude. Yes. Yeah, you know, so that was. If I had to drink somebody else's water, <laughs> that he'd be he'd be fine. Um, so then the next interview we did was Louise Jameson, mm-hmm. who Nicole lit up. You were so lit up and smiling, like you connected with her immediately because you're you like theater. She's been in tons of theater productions, and but she was very ple- she was very nice, very pleasant, but she just has this presence about her when she walks over, like. I, I, I can't put my finger on it. She was very classy, but she was just very soft-spoken, so I hope it recorded well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I moved to... Pre- Joanna's like, you should put it closer. I'm like, any closer, and it's going to fall down her shirt. <laughs> or it's not going to pick us up. I mean, I can only move it so close to the guest, you know? Mm-hmm. But she was very nice, very sweet, and it looks very good for her age, you know? I mean, but she just has this, like, classy presence, like, classy English woman presence about her. <laughs> And like, it, I, it's like she she walks over and you feel like she's the one in charge. Like you don't feel mm. nervous with her, but it's like she is the person in charge. Like she has that about her. It was it was, it, I, I, and I you saw that in her character. I'm like, so that I don't think that was acting when she played when she did that. I mean, I think that was really her. But you were you had you were you were all smiles. You couldn't tell because you couldn't see yourself. <laughs> But you were you were like beaming. You were just like no. I had a little mirror set up so I <laughs> could so look at myself yourself? during the interview. Our mic stand was my cell phone. <laughs> Worked rather well. But she was she was great. She was very nice too. She was not eating breakfast. No, a little later. A little later. It was noon. So. But she was. They were both very nice and very cool in completely different ways. Mm-hmm. Like. Peter was talking and he was waving his arms around a little bit and you know and she was kind of prim and proper and sitting and you know but it was just it was it was such a stark contrast but they were so both so nice and so mm-hmm. like 
genuinely happy to talk to us, it seemed, you know? And I'm sure, I'm, I would think they would be. I mean, they seem like it, and I can't see them just being like, oh. But, yeah, they were, it was great. Mm-hmm. I could have actually gone home right after that and been happy. That I, I told Joanne, I'm like, we can go home right now. I'm completely mm-hmm. happy. In fact, I'm taking it Harry Carries because we're getting a, we're getting a nice lunch because I am happy and I've done something one of the coolest things I've ever done mm-hmm. in my life. I was pretty happy about that. Mm-hmm. I have a question: um, Was Luis in uh, the the reboot, the five-ish Doctors? I think she is one of the one of the heads, one of the one of the spinning around heads Stephen, spinning Moffat. Stephen Moffat. Yeah, I think so. Okay, I believe so. Because there's so many, so you can't... One of my favorite... I'm not going to give, like I said, anything about the interviews. They're about mm-hmm. 20 minutes long. But I will say one of my favorite parts of it when we, was when we were talking to Peter Davison. And I brought up about how the music changed when they walked inside and how they stopped and looked. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, they wanted me to cut that part out, but I left it in there for people like you. <gasps> he goes, I left it in there because I knew the people it would be worth it for the people that got it. <laughs> and that that was really cool. I'm like, he... He wrote that and did that for the fans, which was really cool, mm-hmm. you know. So, but yeah, we'll put the interview after this, and uh, you can hear more of it. It's it's pretty good, I think. I hope. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then what did we see? We went to see we, we saw Colin Baker after that, and Nicola Bryant, and that, they were pretty good. Colin Colin had a lot of fun up there, and then we then Freema Adjman was on. We saw her. Mm-hmm. How was she? She was great. I thought she was she was very fun. Well, when she started with the first high five, I was like, uh, you're opening you a, a door president. there that's... But a lot of the people were like, I just want to hug. And it was a lot quicker than their questions. So, <laughs> But she was great. I mean... But she was... But Freeman was great. She was great to all the fans. She was very mm-hmm. nice. Oh, I think before her, we saw Terry Malloy and Michael Jaston. And mm. Steven moderated that panel. But no, Freeman was great. Terry Malloy and Michael Jason, they were they were good. I, I think mm. we I don't think we saw the I think me and Joanna left a little earlier from the Terry Malloy one. We watched we watched most of them. Um I didn't realize it until we were watching until we were, we were there listening to Michael Jason. He's he's the theater guy. I, I mean mm-hmm. I kinda I kinda figured because a lot of the older English actors that you see started off in the theater and have done, you know, lots of lots of theater work. But seemed nice enough. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, the next day, <laughs> Nicole got to interview both of them. And that one will be posted later on after this one. We're not going to... So, actually, if you stay tuned after Peter Davison, we're gonna have, I'll put the Terry Malloy uh, interview that Nicole mm-hmm. did. And for those of you that are New Who fans like Joanna and don't know who he is, Terry Malloy played Davros for the 4th, 5th, and 6th Doctor. 7th? No, it's no, fifth, f- sixth, and seventh. Yes, because yeah, fifth, sixth, and seventh. I'm sorry, you're right. Which means we have interviewed, and Michael Jaston uh, was also interviewed by Nicole. He played the Valyard in the sixth Doctor story, the Trial of the Time Lord. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and actually, we interviewed somebody related to the fourth, fifth, sixth. Yeah, fourth, fifth, and sixth Doctors, right? Because Louise Jameson seventh. was fourth. Who was related to the seventh? Malloy. Remembrance. Oh, five, six, and seven. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we interviewed a pretty broad spectrum of 
Time Lord history. <laughs> so, but uh, spoke to a Time Lord. So how was Sunday? Ooh. You, you yeah, you, two of them. <laughs> <laughs> so how was Sunday then? Because you did the two interviews. Mm-hmm. Was it a madhouse Sunday too? No, Sunday, much more kind of empty. People are leaving. Even they were supposed to have a panel with the three doctors, which mm-hmm. they did have, but they had to cut short because they had a flight to catch. All of them? I guess well, whoever I mean, was on that flight, yeah, you're, yeah. you're flying back with three doctors. You know, did you see the five-ish doctors that they showed with um, Peter Davison doing the commentary? <gasps> no. I, they did that Sunday morning. Yeah. I was like, oh, come on. I know. Someone tell me. I want to hear those stories. Well, we can't. We can't help you. Neither we can't help you. Neither of us were there. No. So if you were there and you know any of those backstories, please post them on our Facebook page so we can all read them, (laughs) or let us know. Maybe we'll have you on the show. Why not? Send us some. We have Twitter. We have Facebook. Email. Knock your stuff out. Uh. (laughs) So what else was going on Sunday then? Just. Freema did another panel. I saw most of that, but then I had to go to the interviews, so I missed the new Who panel. Uh, we are the new Who panel. We don't need to go see one. <laughs> Made it out just in time to catch, I think, the three doctors. How was that? That was. I mean, they were entertaining, but yeah, it was much shorter than it was yeah. going to be. It was like... I would I would love to see all four of those guys, Baker, McCoy, mm-hmm. Davison, and McGann together. Because I mean, it seems like they really have a good chemistry together. Oh, they made since he wasn't there, they were kind of making fun of McCoy, with like you know, uh, Colin Baker said for that in his mind, McCoy never took over because he never filmed the regeneration <laughs> scene. So he's like, it it was still me. The other guy doesn't count, and and they they kind of had a few little like. I'm jokes. in the Hobbit. Oh really? I had no idea. But yeah, that was Colin Baker's version that he he was still the Doctor. He, McCoy he, he was can... just an imposter. Oh, well, stole re- his coat and solves the regeneration issues. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> remove another regeneration. All right, we're good. That was a good time. It seemed like a lot of fun. We ran into that was a good time. I ran into we ran into uh, Busty Warren, who was a femme fourth doctor. Uh, I didn't recognize her at first because she was laying on the floor by a turtle that was dressed as the fourth doctor. Also, I remember walking past her going, "I saw that turtle." I remember walking past her going, "Who's who's laying on the floor taking a picture with the turtle?" Eh. And then sure <laughs> enough, it was her. So she was there. Uh, we we met Sarah for the first time in person. Mm-hmm. She was very cool. Her and her friends were pretty cool. Talked to them for a little bit. Introduced her to Busty. It was a nice time. Uh, mm-hmm. Saw, I think, Mary Jo. It, we saw them in, like working, and we, so we didn't want to like bother them. So we kind of just you know waved, and she was running somewhere mm-hmm. with food or something. So it was like, all right, we we'll have fun. Well, they, they mentioned they do that all the volunteering they saw you guys. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we saw them for just a brief second. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know. Well, I mean, they were. I knew they were working. I knew they were busy, so I wasn't going to be like, hey. <laughs> So that was nice. 
it was it was neat to go and like meet people actually and meet podcasters and mm-hmm. you know talk to people. It, it's I just need to get better at like being like, hey, can you take a picture? But I was kind of overwhelmed. There were so many good cosplay. Like I took like nothing for pictures because by the time I'd get the camera out or think about it, they were either crowded by people or walking away. But there was like mm-hmm. a handmade Cyberman suit. I mean, there was there were there was there was um what uh, the lizard woman um Madame Vastra. There was a Madame yeah. Vastra like handmade. Mm-hmm. Like, man, I mean, these people, there were some phenomenal cosplays. There was a mini Dalek with a girl, a little girl driving it. <laughs> oh. Uh, canine was there again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was impressive. There was a ton of great cosplay. John, I know Madame Vostra's Jenny that was cosplaying with her. Which Madame Vostra? Because there were like um, there's, there's there's more than one. Yes, there mm-hmm. was. There was at least I want to say three for sure. One of them I know. Play cosplay is is her. My friend is her Jenny. Okay, I don't so. know because there was one with a really detailed, great looking, like it looked just like the show. There was one that looked mm-hmm. pretty good, yeah. And the other one looked pretty good too. So I I don't know which one. I think I'll hit a Jenny with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's it's hard for me to be like, yeah, it's the one. Mm-hmm. And I like how you were like, there was more than one. Yeah, <laughs> there were a couple. So, but I, I guess that's about all I have. I mean, it was a great time, and it was nice meeting all of you. And I'm glad you know whoever is listening to us that's new, welcome and thank mm-hmm. you. We appreciate it. Um, I've said that numerous times this week on Twitter. You know, we appreciate our fans. Mm-hmm. So, thank you. <laughs> and stay tuned for some interviews. Uh, well, joining us today in our TARDIS, which looks amazingly like a Sony voice recorder, is the one and the only, the fifth doctor himself, Peter Davison. Hello. Uh, Peter, uh, first I want to get this out of the way. I was at C2E2 earlier this year, and you were there. Right. And I had my little girl with me, and I had the, the first comic book with the fifth doctor and you signed it for me oh excellent and I remember leaving there thinking that Peter Davidson is one of the nicest people I've ever met <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I still as far as I as far as I know I still think so <laughs> very nice very nice interview's off to a great start so far yeah yeah. Uh, it's all down here from here or all down over here uh, I guess I'm just going to start with when you were first when you first found out that you were going to be the fifth doctor Knowing that you were following up Tom Baker, the longest-running doctor who a lot of people say is their favorite, mm. just so you know, you're, you're, you're probably mine. You're doing very well. You're so in the top one or two. <laughs> uh, when you found that out, did you feel any added pressure when you went into the role? The, you know, this is very much a question I'm asked outside of the UK. Um, you know, in the UK, Tom was... Um, the fourth doctor, uh, and uh, had followed uh, a succession of you know, three great doctors, William Arnold, Patrick Troughton, and John Pertwee. Yeah. If I felt intimidated or pressured, it was following them, really not Tom. Uh, maybe that's because I watched William Hartnell and Patrick Troughton, who I think was my favorite doctor. Uh, and then, then I suppose I drifted away because of I got to the age when you discover other things, um, and I was, you know, I was, and then I went to drama school uh, um, and was working in theatre. But I hadn't really watched Tom very much. Okay. I was aware, obviously, of his, of his doctor, and uh, oh, a bit closer because no, there's music no, we, playing no, in the background. No, you don't yeah. have to. Uh, 
Um, I was aware of his doctor, obviously, and um, indeed I caught the odd episode. I didn't, but I didn't sit down and watch Doctor Who avidly. I was aware when I came over here, which was very shortly after I got the part, that really most people had only ever seen Tom. Right. And so it's a question I'm asked all the time, but I, I would say if I was pressured by anything, it was following my doctors, William Hartnell and Patrick Trout. Um, Tom, you know, I know he, was, he did it for the longest time. I understand that, but I was trying to emulate or, or find something that I had enjoyed so much from those early doctors. Well, so no, I wasn't really out for question by That's actually what I was kind of wondering. You were the first doctor to really have watched the show. Mm. Everyone else just came into it. It was a job. So did that? Do you feel like that affected the way you came into it? It, it very it affected very much the decision process to do the part because I, I you know I was I, I to me my iconic doctors were were older. Um, uh, and uh, I did wonder what you know whether I was uh, of, of the right age to do it because, but you, I knew at the same time once I'd been offered it, and I, they did just call me up. I didn't audition for it. I was very fortunate. Uh, they just rang me up and offered it to me. Um, I was sort of aware that uh, although I was humming and hawing, I could actually not turn it down. I, I was just wasting everyone's time by going, mm, let me think about it for three or four days. Um, because it was a process. I just had to justify it in my own head that I could do justice to it. Um, and once I'd done that, I just I said, yes. It was, well, it's very odd to be offered a childhood, you know, icon, of, you know, a childhood hero of your, your, your own. Um, I'd often thought since I'd become an actor of getting a part in Doctor Who, or maybe I'll get you know, a couple of lines here or there. I'd never actually thought about playing the Doctor. And so you can imagine it was slightly traumatic, I think. I think I was in a state of shock for three or four days. Wow. Strangely, looking back on it now, um, from, the, from this point where we are now in 2013, I don't peer out of place at all. Because, of course, then when it came back, it, it came back with a succession of younger doctors. So now I feel just like, well, absolutely right there. I was rather pleased that I was no longer the younger doctor. <laughs> Well, I think at the time you were the youngest. I right? was the youngest then, yes. Yeah, Matt, yeah. Matt Smith was the first one who came along when he was younger. But uh, and people say, oh, are you really cross? You got your, your crown. I say, no, because it was always a worry that I was too young, and now I'm not the youngest. It's great. Well, I, you know, I was kind of glad to see the, the choice of Peter Capaldi because you can only go so young before you have a toddler running around. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> my son around, of, yeah, my son said, oh, he's, he's old, Peter Capaldi. But I said, you know, look, I, I grew up on a doctor exactly. Uh, the age that Peter Capaldi is, and right. uh, you know, I, I loved it. Um, it's just what you're used to, isn't it? Really, and they'll get they'll, once once he starts, Peter, he would be the Doctor. There's no doubt in my mind. I'm I'm actually rather excited to have an older Doctor, and I've seen some of Peter's work or Peter Capaldi's work, mm. rather. <laughs> he has an intensity at times that I think would be great for the you know. To bring He's out. a terrific actor. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. And you know, when uh, when when uh, you know Tom uh, uh, when. Matt announced he was leaving. It's the queue inevitably to get this interminable list in the British press about who is going to be the next doctor. And for the most part, there are one or two exceptions, but for the most part, that list was appalling. And I would sit there going, oh no, 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 they can't be serious. And of course, the press is such that they basically will lie and they will go, we've got an absolute definite, uh, you know, this person is definitely playing the doctor. And it's all nonsense. Um, and well, that's, I, really, that's really how the Sun reports, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah, and I, I remember when when Peter Capaldi's name first came up, 
first came into the frame, which was only about three or four days before it was announced that he was going to be the Doctor. I remember for the first time thinking, now that will be a good choice. Uh, um, and so it was great that he turned out to be the Doctor. Yeah, there was definitely a look about him, and he was another, he's another person that grew up watching the older Doctors. Exactly. Like, for me, you were my first Doctor. I, well, the one I watched the most of, so I could see you were the first. I, here in Chicago on public broadcasting, you have telethons where they'd raise money for the channel and they'd show a Pertwee episode they show a Baker episode so I, it's probably the onesie twosies how I started mm. but when I started watching every night at, or every Sunday night at 11 o'clock when I was supposed to be sleeping on my black and white TV <laughs> it was you <laughs> well I remember that I remember coming to Chicago very early on because it was always a huge uh, Doctor Who town and I remember it being on late on the Saturdays staying up far too late you kids <laughs> <laughs> well we were talking about Peter Capaldi taking over the role, but I also was wondering when you took over the role, since you had watched the classic Doctors before you, was there anything that you tried to take from them? Did you like have specific things you went, I want? <clears throat> I just felt, what I felt was, when I sat down and I watched, uh, um, I'd watched John Pertwee for a bit, um, I wasn't a, that huge a fan of John Pertwee's He's, he's such a brilliant comedian, John Pertwee, and yet he's, I know people will say this about my doctor, but that's, a, that's another story. Um, John made the decision to play it without any trace of humour at all, so I can see, which I think was a bit of a shame. Um, uh, so what I think it lost after Patrick Troughton was um, a sense of... Uh, vulnerability in the character. Mm -hmm. I thought John played it, and it worked on a certain level, absolutely. He played it really as a sort of um, superhero. Yeah. Uh, and sort of always absolutely in control of everything. Nothing really ever stumped him. And um, Tom did a similar thing in a different way, with humour, but in a different way. And I just felt it had lost. I wanted to bring back a bit of that vulnerability that Patrick had, a bit of that slightly is this the right thing to be doing or not really sure you know. and um, not to mention blind panic um, so I, uh, I, I just that's really what I, what I wanted to sort of bring in things that I remembered really and a bit of the irascibility of, um, of William Hartnell which I loved so much I mean he was the most extraordinary child here if you think about it I mean he's a grumpy old man basically but then kids found they loved him uh, <laughs> uh, which is magic but there you go and then did you, because I, I was just, I'm always curious how you, your doctor takes shape, because mm. they're all so different. Do they give you a lot of idea of how to play they it? They give you, you no help whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, it is, I, I still think, uh, and, and people have now, I mean, the people have sort of mastered it now, I think, maybe because uh, um, they're better. Uh, but um, it, it, you, it, most parts, if you're give, given them as an actor, you can at least do some sort of background research and go, okay, this person, you know, he was brought up in this kind of neighborhood, he had this family life was like this, and you can build up a kind of picture of him in your head through sort of background that we're all aware of. Um, with Doctor, you've given nothing, really. I mean, in my time, I think I was told he was a 750-year-old Time Lord from the planet Gallifrey. And, of course, the other thing is you're cast to be different. You're not cast to be like right. the previous Doctors. You're cast to be entirely different. So, in the first, my first story, I tried to bring in elements of William Hartnell and Patrick Troughton and even John Pertwee, just into slightly confused moments where he's becoming the Doctor. Um, but as for a character, the, the, your positive idea of a character, you just have to let it emerge. Um, 
you know, I remember John Nathan Turner said to me when he I took the part. He said, you know, I wanted to cast a personality actor. Well, I'd never, ever thought of myself as a personality actor at all. I mean, that was the furthest thing from my mind. I thought I had no personality at all. Um, I, you know, I, when I did All Creatures Great and Small, I was very, very shy, um, sort of young actor. And, and I remember when I was offered that part as Tristan, um, I thought, how the hell am I going to play this here? This is outgoing, gregarious character. Everything that I'm not. Um, and what happened with that was I just, I came, I sort of came a bit, became a bit like Tristan, or at least I used things. You know, that it enabled me to use things in my personality that I was too shy to use normally, and so it gave me a certain amount of confidence. And I think from that, he interpreted that as me just being like Tristan. That they cast someone who was just like Tristan, therefore I was a personality actor. But I really wasn't, so I, I had to go back to square one and, and sort of and, and bring in elements of Tristan, I suppose, into that thing, and that did help quite a lot. You know, there was a very there was a well-known uh, chat show on, um, before, uh, and I was a guest on it before we, I started work on Doctor Who, and they'd invited several members of the public, quite young members of the public, to give their advice about what I should, how I should play. Uh, the wow. doctor. They clearly thought I needed help. Anyway, um, one, uh, I was very struck by one young guy who said, got up and said, oh, I think you should be like Tristan, but brave. And, and, really, and that was really my blueprint for playing the part. Um, didn't seem to be a good point to start as any. So I'm going to fast forward a okay. few, few years. Okay. We watched The Fivish Doctors a couple times. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, it's brilliant. I love all the little nods and when you the, the music when it changes you guys are looking around like they tried to make me take that oh, out oh no it was brilliant they said oh no people won't get that and, said, and, and, no, they'll get it even if one person's mentioned it to another person who missed it they'll go back and watch it yeah, again and it'll be worth it and um, I, I think it was brilliant I, I, I love that the music you use primarily in it is yeah. music very reminiscent of when you and Colin and yeah, 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 Sylvester yeah, were doing yes, it. Absolutely, yeah. How did you come up with, when did the idea come to you? Um, was it, if I'm not going to be in the 50th, I'm going to make my own? Well, that, <laughs> I, I foolishly answered that very question. I, I was asked at a convention middle of well, the summer of last year if I was going to be in the 50th anniversary special. I said I thought it unlikely. And then I added almost as an afterthought, but if I'm not, I'm damn well going to make my own. Um, <laughs> and I realized the foolishness of this when I was asked at the following convention that I did, um, uh, you know, is it true you're going to make your own? Oh, oh, Lord. So a, a German, actually, it, it, I wasn't that quite bad as I, I thought, uh, but the German idea had sort of started in my head about, um, it started off with that, the scene that it starts off with, with, with in my head of me saying, you know. Uh, with your son. Uh, yeah, my son. I was saying, is it going to be a 50th anniversary? Like, no, I think it might. No, I don't know, I'm sure there will be. It's going to be more. And I, they sort of, both, one, one is a fan of Matt Smith, one is a fan of David Tennant. Uh, and and there are extremely uh, um, derisive. I'll go, you know, on the telly, and I'll go, look, who's that on the telly? I go, you. <laughs> so I thought that you know they, they keep your feet on the ground, and and I so I thought it was quite nice to start with that idea that they weren't interested in me being in it at all, and um, and and there was a lot of talk. Are you going to be in it? So we were to a certain extent waiting for the phone call to ring. Not in that we weren't actually, sit, we weren't actually sitting at the table staring at the phone. But anyway, it was a nice exaggeration of the of the thing um, of the feeling that we had, and it just grew from that. But the nicest thing was when I wrote the finally sat down and wrote a script and I sent it to um, Sylvester and Colin. 
who I'd asked if they'd be interested, and they said yes. And then they both came back and said, "Oh no, yeah, we'd love it." Um, that that both of them almost assumed the characters that I'd written. So so Sylvester assumed this character who just interminably went around suggesting, that, you know, telling everyone that he was in the in the Hobbit. You know, Did you know I'm in the Hobbit? And, with, with the T-shirt on, which I thought the was brilliant. Yeah. Well, he came along with the T-shirt one time and said, uh, OK, I've got, I've got other choices you want me to change. I said, no, no, I think you should be in the Hobbit T-shirt all the time. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. it's just, you know, just yeah. obsessively just trying to convince us, you know, tell us that you're there where you're in the Hobbit. Um, so yeah, so they, they, they threw themselves into it, which I, I, was, you know, I couldn't have done it without, without their sort of commitment um, to it. Well, you uh, had a huge cast. I mean, you had past and present alum and well, uh, your, your daughter was in it? Yeah, well, originally. I Eating mean, ice cream with celery? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> which I mean, some people didn't catch that either. But no, I they, right they away, didn't. I know, like, the, the but as I say, eventually they do, you see. Yeah, eventually yeah. someone like you, you'll say to someone who didn't catch it, did you know it's a celery? Um, but the thing was that... that it, it grew as originally I thought this is going to be about seven or eight minutes long and then we just think of different fun things to do and they'd involve different people so we'd ask different people and they all, they all said yes with the exception of one person who did we, 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 we to turn idea. us down um, <laughs> we have a good idea <laughs> but, we, but, but even that I, I, I was working with this guy Reese Thomas who's was you know, we were just talking about the project and I told him about this idea of uh, uh, we had for um, replacing the missing character and, and he said you know he said that he said that's funnier than having him in it yeah. <laughs> so I thought well, well, we'll do that's what we'll do um, there's a little piece of me that really hoped that you guys were those Zygons, or were, were the Zygons yeah. on the sheet. <laughs> when you we were, we were asking this question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it all adds up. You were there. It adds up. We were there, absolutely. I wouldn't question it. We definitely <laughs> under the sheets. And you uh, did have great insider access, it seems. I had huge insider access. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, got, I got George and my daughter along as producer, yeah. because it was getting too big and out of hand. Um, but everyone, I mean, like Sean Pertwee, after once. I said to, to um, someone else just, just now, the, the, the difficulty was getting past the agents in a lot of cases. I can imagine that. Once yeah. we got past the agents, the people themselves were hugely keen to do it. Oh, and John sure. and Sean Pertwee. Well, you know Barman would would, would, would Yeah, allow John Barman was agent. We couldn't get past him. And Georgia, that's when I got, in fact, that's when I got Georgia on board. Because yeah. I, I knew one thing that would get past uh, um, an agent is, is the name Tenant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that works. <laughs> Well, she she uh, produced it under the, her name, which is John. Now, of course, is John Tennant, but um, as a person in real life, uh, and so she she we got we got um, John on board, and he was great. I, we I had huge him. restrictions; we were only allowed to have him for an hour or something. But that wasn't him. But he was so uh, he just you made the most of it with him. Though. Oh gosh, yeah. You played up yeah. every, every convention we go to where we hear co-stars of his. They always, especially the Torchwood guys are always yeah. like calling him Barrowman because he's always like they say he's always singing. So having him sing and play the music and, and then Bart using using the CDs and DVDs as currency was just brilliant. I think we edited that bit afterwards. That wasn't <laughs> was that, that wasn't in the script. The guys we, we sent him, like, so we're slightly worried when he sees that bit. He might be offended, but I think he won't be. He'll be fine. But, um, you know, I guess that leads me to the what, what I have is my last question. You're a ti- you've played a Time Lord. Mm-hmm. Your daughter's played a Time Lord, which I still think she needs to be come back at some I point. I quite couldn't agree. Or, or a spin-off show would be great, yeah. you know, because mm-hmm. that 
male female question always yes. comes up, and I always say there's female time lords. Let one have a show. Well, you know they've only got episodes to last. We only we don't do many episodes in Britain, so we've only right. got mm-hmm. what 10, 12, 13 or something like that. The yeah. most. Yeah. So really, to fill up the rest of the year, you need you another have two shows. Yeah, you need another Bounce show. Up. Yeah, get on to it. Come on. And I know, uh, I know. Obviously, your son-in-law David is yeah. uh, is a time lord. Yeah. How is dinner at like? How is like a, a a Christmas dinner at your at your family? Well, obviously we don't really sit around talking about Doctor Who. I, I, I we you, think we quite so. often talk about experiences that is okay. Doctor Who, but we de- we don't go around. Oh, I remember in that in my episode. I, you know. <laughs> I can um, see you and David just got <laughs> the, the screwdriver out. The funniest thing I think, and, and I still do wonder. You can't help it. You know, when we go for uh, they come around for Sunday lunch or something, and we go for a walk in the park. Uh, all of us, you know, like kids yeah. and, and other halves, and David and I. Uh, what happens when you're walking around, if you're well known in Britain and in America, too, I think you, you, you usually don the baseball cap and the mm-hmm. dark glasses. Well, of course, in your head, you're, you, you, um, this is your disguise, so that people don't recognise you. But at the same time, it does make you look incredibly conspicuous. Yep. So we'll, we will be we will be walking through the park, and the kids will be just riding along. George will be pushing the push chair, and my wife will be walking the dog. And there's David and I, both wearing baseball caps and dark glasses, and <laughs> we're the two most conspicuous people in people in the entire park. So of course they look at us. So it has to be quite the reverse effect, <laughs> keeping us anonymous. Uh, still, we still can't help doing it because you know. I, I mean. The, the, Thankfully, David takes most of the heat off me. Um, <laughs> so they're usually after him, not me. But um, I don't know, you, you've had a pretty good. Uh, well, like my now my credit ratings now 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 with the five-ish doctors, and I'm out there uh, um, in my present form uh, playing. You, know, Do you wear the playing t-shirt. The uh, <laughs> <laughs> I should. I nearly brought the t-shirt here. Actually, I should have done. Wear the t-shirt, the dark glasses. <laughs> <laughs> No one will recognize Nobody, I mean, absolutely. You, you, you've done great work outside of Doctor Who, though. I mean, I started, we have a service here called Acorn TV now. Oh, right. And it has The Last Detective. Yes. you uh, start in. That's right. I've watched probably the first five or six, and yeah. I really enjoy that. Yeah, no, that, I mean, I've done, I've been... And you're on Law and, or, Law and Order UK. That's right, Which yeah. has been running strong. Yeah, and, uh, and lots of things. I was quite, early on, I, we had to campion over here as well. Yeah, yeah. So, and I've um, done a lot of things. The Breath, at home. Was that was yeah, here as well, was that? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. it, if you know where to look. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yes, uh, it, a lot of things actually have come to America. It's basically to do if, if, if you say you look for them. Um, but in, in Britain... Uh, <laughs> um, <a> rocks. Yeah. <laughs> in Britain, uh, you know, it's, it's a combination of things. I've been around for a long, long time, so I am fairly, fairly recognisable, yeah. So I do need the sunglasses and the dark glasses. More than anything else, it's catching people's eye. That's the thing. What you have to do if you're not wearing the full gear... Is you can't catch anyone's eye. If you catch someone's and eye, they, the contact, they like, suddenly go. Yep. And then, of course, it, it, it's touch and go whether they know who you are or they just think they've seen you down the pub. <laughs> uh, and that's almost worse because they won't let go of that. So they go, Oh, yeah, how are you? I haven't seen down to the pub lately. And I go, No, 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 I, I think you're mistaken me for someone else. No, no, down the pub, you know. Yeah, the chickens, you're always down there on a Saturday night. No, no, I've never been there. But you can't sort of say, Oh, no, you know me off the telly. Oh, just make, then, you, then, yeah. then you'll have a whole other group of people. Well, yeah, it just, you know, it just sounds a bit sort of, you know, a bit, a bit pompous. Um, oh, so you have to go along with this conversation, trying to discourage them from the idea that they know you from somewhere else. Anyway, so you tend to walk around. Consequently, you don't see people who you actually do know. Uh, <laughs> and so you tend to cut those people dead. So it's a, t- 
very, very tough life. <laughs> Actually, it's not at all. Um, it's very nice. Um, it's been very good this year. I mean, I, it, it's, people say, you know, have you, are you, has it been a tiring year? But really, we, for the most part, we go around to conventions like these where people tell us how fabulous they think we are. So it's, it's not really that tough a life, is it? We, we get the, we get the, oh, we do a podcast, Two Girls, a Guy, and a Tardis, and they say, who? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's about. Um, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, we got a signal that we need to oh, write right, okay. But you know what? It was a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on our, uh, our, our TARDIS that looks like a Sony recorder. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, right. I'm not going to shove cream cheese down my face. Yep. And nice good, good luck in anything else you, uh, you do. Hope Thank you very much. Forward to seeing you Thank you. Cheers. Welcome to Two Girls, a Guy, and a TARDIS. Thank you. Sitting here with Terry Malloy, who of course played Davros. Mm-hmm. And actually before getting to your Doctor Who work, I was looking into your background a little, and I saw you started out in music. I did, yeah. I, I, um, I went and studied music and drama at Liverpool uh, during the mid-60s. Um, I didn't do a lot of studying. I actually spent most of the time playing in a soul band in the cavern and, and around and about. So, um, yeah. the uh, And that was... It was a, I actually, want, first of all, wanted to be a vet. That was my big ambition as a child. But um, I'm just hopeless at science. It took me three goes to get my, you know, O-level maths. So um, I thought that this isn't going to be a runner at all. So um, I enjoyed the music, but at the end of the course, I thought, well, I'll have to work really hard to be as good a musician as I'd really want to be, (coughs) to be a session musician or something like that. Mm. And um, I thought, well, I quite enjoy acting. It seems a fairly lot easier, and there are more days off. So um, I plumped for that. And what were you, what instrument were you playing? In the- uh, I started off um, at school, I, I learned clarinet, well, the, the very first instrument I tried was bugle, and then I went on to um, cello, and then piano, and I hated all of those, and then just out of the blue somebody gave me a clarinet, and, uh, and I, I just took to it like a duck to water, and, and sailed away through the, through the exams, and uh, became very proficient, so when I went on to, to, um, to university, I um, took that with me, and but all, I also had got a saxophone by that time as well, <clears throat> and I'd been playing in a jazz band. We'd had a jazz band at school, uh, sort of mainstream, Jerry Mulligan kind of thing, and I had a baritone sax. And um, then I joined up with this uh, band, one of whom the members was in the same group that I was at, uh, studying. And um, yeah, I, I just I slept around with them for you know about three years, and it was great fun. Really good fun, really good fun. I thoroughly enjoyed Liverpool was a really bouncy place. We're talking, you know, 66, 67, 68. It was, mm-hmm. a, you know, a really sparky place to be at the time. So not too long after the Beatles? No, so. indeed, no, no. Although they, they, Liverpool had moved on into what they call Northern Soul. Mm-hmm. It had, uh, <clears throat> that was coming in much more. So we were, we were playing a lot of the Atlantic Soul um, from across the, uh, across the water. But also beginning to write stuff and arrange stuff because I did brass so I, I would try to arrange it. We had a big brass section, we had a four piece brass section. So we were moving much more towards like Chicago Transit Authority feel um, in trying to write our own stuff as well as covering all the old, um, you know, soul, soul numbers as well. And then I saw that you started out acting more in the like repertory theatre. Yep, yep. So that yep. must have been grueling. I, I read Elizabeth Sladen's autobiography. It sounded <laughs> kind of like... Some reps were more grueling than others. I mean, there were, there were, there were sorts of reps that um, 
what they call weekly rep, where they would do a new play every week. Mm-hmm. Now that, now you know, that's just a killer. You're yeah. trying to learn one, you're playing one, and you, you know, you. Uh, now that death in death in the water. Uh, the repertory, the main repertory companies ran on a basically a monthly basis, mm-hmm. and they would do a play and play it for a month, and then another play would come in. Some of them would do them in repertoire, so you would bring back a play that had been done a few weeks. And this was based on having a company in the theatre, the same company, all the way through the year. So you mm-hmm. could do this uh, switching round of plays um, at different times. And I, well, I started working in children's theatre, touring around the countries, and um, then moved into, into rep and started working at Victoria Theatre in Stoke, which was a very sparky rep, very had a good reputation for doing sort of gritty, realistic social dramas and uh, uh, documentaries and things like that. And um, yeah, and moved on from there, really. And uh, we had a very thriving repertory theatre uh, tradition in those days, which sadly now has gone. I mean, there is no, there is, there are no reps left. Um, there are a few theatres that do plays, but they're one-offs and. You know, actors come in, do the one play, and go away again. The, the whole feel of the thing, but it, it's sad because it's, it's lost a whole training ground for a whole, you know, generation of actors. That, that was that was our training ground. You worked in rep, then you might do some television or radio or whatever, and uh, and move on from there. Now people come out of drama school straight into televisions. You know, they they haven't got the time to be somewhere else, and uh, it's and it's a great shame because it it actually lends a great texture. To, to actors to work in that situation, to spend time rehearsing with other people and being in the same town with the same people, you know, week in, week out, month in, month out for a period of time. Uh, you build relationships, you build a, a rapport with your audience, and that's all part of the, you know, the, the, the building up of the, the spirit, the, you know, spiritual batteries of an actor is getting that reaction back from an audience. So, yeah, it's a shame it's, those days are gone. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you seem to move into radio and doing eventually into a lot of radio plays. And I know you've been on The Archers for Indeed. 40 yeah, years yeah. now. I mean, it was actually when I was at Stoke, I was picked up by one of the radio producers in Birmingham and I started doing a few <coughs> jobs, uh, uh, productions for him. And uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I really loved it. And it was through him that I got the Archers because they were looking for this character for the Archers and he suggested me and I went in and auditioned for it. And uh, that was it. I got the job. Thinking it was going to be for five weeks. That's what I was told. And this was in 1973. So we're now 40 years on and I'm still in the programme and it's still going out. And I've grown up and been in it man and boy all my life, really. And did you find that at all a challenge, playing the same character for... 40 years? No, I mean, it's interesting to, because you, I mean, because you're not doing it every day, you're literally doing, we record one week in every month, so, and in that week, they'll do 26 episodes, and you might only be in two, so you're, you're talking about, you know, two two-hour slots during the course of one week in a month, so you're not living and breathing the character, if you, yeah. as you would be, say, on a television soap or in a theatre production, um, so it's a bit like you you have the character and it's a bit like pairing an old, old pair of slippers that you slip into once a month you know and you kind of it's very odd because you don't notice time passing you really don't notice time passing and I think it was only when I was about 20 years in god it sounds awful 20 years in um, that they auditioned for somebody to play my son who was now meant to be you know 18, 19 you know because mm-hmm. uh, they now wanted him to speak 
because uh, the, the young the youngsters in Ambridge, well, traditionally never spoke until they were about eighteen, <laughs> you know, because then they could get an actor to, in to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, it was um, it was when we were auditioning for that we had um, this range of actors, and I was there auditioning with them. And the last one of the day came in, and the minute he opened his mouth, the hairs on the back of my neck just went up. So I thought, that's that was me, that's me, but me twenty years ago, you know. Okay, and that's when the, the passing of time kind of hit me, you know. And I thought, mm. I wonder if he thinks I'm as big an old fart as I thought the older actors were when I joined the Archers, <laughs> you know, because, uh, yeah, you, cut, you have that arrogance of youth and you think, oh, what do they know about it? And then you find out that most of them are working with some of the greats in theatre and radio mm-hmm. way before I was even born, you know. So, yeah. Because that's something we don't really have much in America, no, radio don't. dramas. Yep, yep. The there's no tradition. We've always had a tradition of radio drama here, and the same you know, applies in places like Australia. They, they bemoan the fact that they haven't got a, an audio tradition. And it's, you know, it's companies like Big Finish that have brought this, mm-hmm. the Doctor Who genre into the audio uh, arena that have attracted a vast audience across the world. And people are saying, why haven't we got this at home? You know, why haven't we got these kind of things? Sadly, also in the UK, the, the tradition of radio drama has been diminished on Radio 4. Um, the, the, the amount of work being commissioned has been diminished. And it's a, it's a great shame because it is, as I say, it's for me, it's my favourite medium. Because it, it doesn't matter what you look like. You know, mm-hmm. I can still play a 20-year-old punk or an 85-year-old West Indian on radio. You know, I can play parts I'd never be able to play um, if I was on stage or, in, or, or on film or TV. So... From that respect, the actor also has the most control because there's not a lot that anybody can do to shift the focus from what you're doing. Mm-hmm. There's no lighting changes, there's no changes of you know camera angle or anything that's going to block out what you've been aiming to do. It's you, your voice, creating the character, painting the picture for mm-hmm. them to you know bring into their into their uh, um, imaginations and, and fill in the gaps. So. Um, from that point of view, it is for me. It's it's my favourite medium. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, obviously, playing Davros, you don't really get to show your face. <coughs> you have limited movement. So, did your radio background really inform your performance? Very much so. Yeah, I mean, that's what, <coughs> in a way, attracted me to it because I realised that you've got to. Well, in those days, we didn't have the prosthetics we have now. Uh, a very immobile mask. So. You got a visual image, but it it didn't have any much, very much expression. In it so the expression had to come through the voice. You had to create that character and paint the picture of the the madness, the paranoia, the evil, whatever you want to call it, from within, uh, and allow that to come through the mask or play it through the mask. Um, so for me, that was a fascinating exercise, and I thought, well, it'd be like doing a radio play on telly, you know, mm-hmm. and. Um, and quite rightly so, now we've moved on and um, I don't do it on telly anymore, I do it on radio and it's a lot more comfortable to do it that way, <laughs> you don't mm-hmm. have to get into all the stuff. Um, yeah, you, 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 you really can, in, you know, actually, you're using the voice, you're informing the character, it, it comes through the voice and the, and the subtleties and the, and the nuances that you can get in a radio performance are far greater than you can sometimes get on telly. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, obviously Davros, kind of one of the iconic villains on Doctor Who. Yeah. But did you have any trouble, like, getting into the character? Because he's, you know, often played as kind of the Hitler-esque yeah. 
character. So did you have a difficult time at all getting a handle on it or? No, because I am basically a megalomaniac, you know, in uh, real life. So. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, because obviously I'd got the, the, uh, the, the blueprint that Michael Witcher had laid mm-hmm. down. But we weren't, we weren't, we tried as we moved through with Doctor Who on, on the telly to move slightly away from that so it wasn't just this, you know, two-dimensional intergalactic Hitler. Yeah. But the, there had got to be some subtleties. You can't play evil. You can't play mm-hmm. I'm evil because it becomes really boring, you know. You've got to play the truth of I'm doing, I'm doing good. Mm-hmm. You're the one who perceives it as evil, you know, as far as I'm concerned. I'm doing good. Oh, I'm doing what needs to happen. The fact that you see it as wrong is your problem, not mine. Um, so it, it, finding that, those nuances to actually bring that forward was, um, was a fascinating thing. We started to do on the telly and obviously did, did a lot more when we got to the big finish stuff and, and doing those. That's actually, I wanted to ask you in your big finish audios, mm. I know you've been able to do a lot more with the character than mm-hmm. in the show tends to pop up here and there and yeah, yeah. stories more about the doctor. Mm-hmm. So, and I know you've done some audios, so what did you feel like you could do with the character once you got to the big finish audios that you couldn't do when it was on the TV show? Uh, well, the first thing, well, not the first thing, we, we, we did it sort of quite a way down the track was to actually fill in the backstory of who Davros is. What, what was the journey? How did he get from, you know, Aryan youth, young, feisty lad um, um, from a beautiful race of Aryan people to this crippled monster who's got this, you know, designs on everyone and everything around him. Um, but also there were areas of the game playing, I think, which for me was important, between Davros and the Doctor. The, I think one of the essences is that both Davros and the Doctor are on an intellectual par and they know it. They recognise in each other that they are, they are their intellectual equals mm-hmm. and for them that's rare because most people fall below the line, they fall below the bar, but they know they've set the bar and they're both on it. They also both know they're alone. So in a kind of sense they need each other. So it's not to do with you know guns going off and explosions and all of that. It's to do with the intellectual chess game that they play with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the point scoring there that is, in a way, one of the keys to their relationship and what makes it, what can make it extremely interesting, and takes it out into another dimension from you know shoot 'em ups. It's mm-hmm. into something slightly different. And I mean that was very much the case in um, Terra Firma, which I did with Paul McGann, where you know. The doctor is trying to push Davros into schizophrenia and make him believe that he's actually a Dalek, you know. And Davros, conversely, is trying to show the doctor his total loneliness by showing him world as a dead planet, Earth as a dead planet, and all his blessed, you know, uh, you know, earthling creatures that he loves so much gone, mm-hmm. so that he really is alone. You know. and, uh, and it's the fear of the loneliness, I think, that in, in, inhabits both of their darkest nightmares mm-hmm. um, there's, a, there's a speech in one of them where Davros explains um, what it's like being inside his body you know and how you know this happens and this pain happens and that pain happens. and there's this great long speech about you know the pain and the awfulness of loneliness of this that and the other 
and that's the first second and he's reliving that every second of his imprisonment you know in this mm. cryogenic chamber and you just say that's awful awfulness you know um, and how do people not go mad in that But because they are on their own and that is the same with the doctor I think in many ways you, you see him up mm-hmm. against things and he is fighting his own nature to do certain things um, and that relationship with Davros and, and the Doctor, I think, is the, the, the key thing that can happen on audio, and has happened much more than has ever been attempted to be done on, on television. You know, we didn't do it in our time, and even in the new series, they, they copped out and, and just made it a shoot it up, shoot 'em up, rather than, you know, actually making it an interesting story between mm-hmm. the two of them. But uh, there we go. Yeah, that was actually my first introduction to the character of Davros was through the new series. Okay, yeah. And then I went back and I, I saw the other, yeah. it was kind of yeah. like when I first saw him, I was like, this is who we're yeah. really, and then I went back and yeah. like, oh, he really has many, like, yeah, in the earlier oh, yeah. Yeah. series. It's, um, it's very difficult when, I, I, know, I suppose for, for writers it's very difficult to if they're doing things, they've got an idea for a character. It's put together by somebody in the first thing, and somebody goes, "Oh, that's good. We'll run with that and do this." You know, so people are adding bits on or taking things away mm. at each step. And um, the great thing for us was when we were doing the big finish was actually to do I Davros, where we were able over four audio CDs, a bit like I Claudius, um, to explore this this. Um, great family on Scaro mm-hmm. and how Davros is brilliant minded gifted young man um, how he becomes the, the the cruel creator of the Daleks and why mm-hmm. and uh, and some of the re- his reasons for doing it and uh, for us it was a, an interesting because we had to say well there's got to be a starting point for this how, you know you don't you're not born evil mm-hmm. you don't sort of wake up going ha 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 you know, there is nurture and there is nature involved in coming to a particular point in your life, the, the things around you that affect you, and also what's there in your base makeup that is going to create or add to the creation of the person that you become. So, I mean, one of the starting points for us was looking at autism and saying that here's a guy with a brilliant savant mind, but no social skills, cannot cope socially with anybody. All he can see is problems and how to solve them. And if anybody gets in the way, they get blown out of the way. Because as far as he's concerned, the, the, the solution of the problem is the important thing. Mm-hmm. Not what gets in the way of it. That's, that's immaterial. You know. um, so again, it's not an evil thing. It's just sort of a totally mindless sort of, well, what's the problem? You know, and, uh, you know, we've got to solve this problem. You know. Okay, I'll blow a load, load of people out of the way. You know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, so yeah, it, that, that ability to sort of go back and, and dissect and, and um, re-examine a character is, is good and thankfully within a you know, time travel show, hello yeah. you can be anywhere it, it's not, you, people go, oh you did this and you've done that you say, sorry, you're, you're still thinking in a linear form here, you know there's no linear form in Doctor Who, you can't mm-hmm. be it's a time time travelling thing you, know, you can go anywhere and be in any place at any time in any of the characters lives, you know um, mm-hmm. so, um, yeah Fascinating. And I was just wondering then, since you obviously have a really thorough understanding of the character, far too far too much, I'm afraid. (laughs) Do you have input into the Big Finish audios? Do they ever like check 
with you and say, we're, you want to do this, would this be something Davros would do? or? No, no, not really. I mean, we did with I Davros. Um, and, and when I first did the very first one with, with Gary Russell, he, he, you know, he came to me and said, look, you know, would you consider doing this? And do you think it would be all right to do one without the Daleks? I said, yeah, why not? You know, plenty of Dalek stories without Davros. They can exist without each other. Uh, and then again with I Davros, we had this discussion of, you know, how do we get to, from A to B? Um, but no, normally I've never heard of thing ring me up and say, do you want to do this? And, and in fact, one of the, the curse of Davros, they sent the script through to me, and I'm, I'm just very lazy about reading scripts, and I read the first, you know, two episodes. And I just put it down, I thought, oh, this is rubbish, this is absolute toss. I don't know, well, you know, who wrote this? Is it, you know, it doesn't make any sense, the characters are all over the place, it's absolute nonsense, you know. And then eventually I read through to the, the next episode and I went, oh, okay, I see now. Right, yeah, the revelation is made in that. Yeah, right, okay, now, now it all falls in. Now I understand, okay, yeah, yeah, but that's, that's just me being a lazy actor. And, I mean, I, I've always wondered, just when you took the role, did you have any idea you'd still be playing it oh, God, over no. 25 years I, th- I thought years it, was, later, it was a two-week job. I mean, I took over Michael Wisher. I thought Michael Wisher would come back, and I took over only because they'd shifted the production sideways because of a BBC strike, and he wasn't available, you know. So I thought, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm standing in, and great, you know. Uh, but obviously they liked what they saw and, and asked me to come back and, and come back again, and, you know, and then the big finish stuff has carried on as well. So no, I, I thought yeah, two weeks and I'll be out of this, you know. Um, but yeah, here we are, thirty odd years later, and it's still going and going strong. And, and I'm delighted. It's been part of my life, you know, like the Arches has. It's been a very important part of my life, you know. And um, um, I'm very grateful to it. Well, thank you. I think that's our time for today. But great. Thank you for being a guest. My pleasure entirely. Pleasure meeting you. Thank you.